Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome to Catherine's Lobby. It's uh, the evening of day number... Nine. Nine. I was just about to say ten. I'm not so good at that, am I? Um, and uh, we've, we, we've had a bit of a, an issue with energy levels today because the weather has been horrific, Catherine. New York was not supposed to be laying this on today, was I it? Can't, I can't work in these conditions. <laughs> I'll tell you, I had four days of this in my first ever year without a tennis roof, Matt. Imagine that. Yeah, that would be miserable. Although I suppose you wouldn't really have to do anything because there was no play, right? No, all I had to do was sit there for about eight hours giving half-hourly updates on, on how it was raining. <laughs> yeah, that's grim. Yeah, but so thankfully we have had continuous play at least on the main court, uh, which is the Arthur Ashe Stadium court. So we've already seen three singles matches as we come to you. Matt and I will be back late in the night because that's what tennis does uh, to wrap up the Nick Kyrgios against Karen Hachanov match, which is just getting underway now. Um, but before we do that, let me just remind you of our incredible competition for the Australian Open. You, if you are a friend of the Tennis Podcast, could be going with a guest of yours to the Australian Open with return economy flights, two of those, accommodation paid for for three nights, four days of tickets for the Australian Open as well, and a premium experience. You just need to be a friend of the Tennis Podcast, sign up. The link is in our show notes. It's all courtesy of AO Travel, who put all of this stuff on you only have to go to them and they'll sort out the lot um ozopentravel.com to find out what they offer but become a friend first if you're not already and enter the competition and get our other free po- podcasts our other bonus podcasts that we produce throughout the year 20 of those are already up we're going to do another one next week then q a's but for tonight we're going to talk about what went on today all of the matches in singles were straight sets to this point, Catherine. That, I think of all the things I expected to happen today, that's one of them that I really didn't expect. Yes, you're right about that. I hadn't, I hadn't quite clocked that they were all straight sets because they all felt so very different. They were three very different brands of straight sets match, Yeah, I think. Um, don't know what which one you want to deal, well, with, th- deal th- with first. I want to start or? with Coco Goff against Caroline Garcia, Caroline Garcia because I mean I think that that is the one that 
um, attracts attention most here in, in this country, that was the headline of the day, wasn't it? That's the one that America and New York and the US Open were most interested in. And Coco Golf couldn't deliver tonight. Now, how much of that do you put down to her? How much of it do you put down to Garcia? I put almost all of it down to Garcia. Um, I'm not sure what what more Coco Goff could have done today. Realistically, I I was pretty blown away by Garcia tonight. I have to say, I wasn't in the stadium. I was watching on a screen map. I think you were in the stadium, so maybe your take will be different and more reliable but um, you know I'm sitting there waiting for it to blink waiting for it to choke and she's it's a different different player different yeah. player I, I can't quite believe what I'm seeing with Caroline Garcia right now actually mm. no I feel similarly Matt I agree I mean she blew me away tonight um, it started out I think a bit weirdly it wasn't packed at the start I was expecting there to be this incredible atmosphere for Coco Golf, and it was fine but it wasn't what I was expecting and the stadium was just a little bit flat and I don't yeah. really have an explanation for that and I think Goff started a little bit flat she was four love down in uh, 17 minutes and a lot of that as you said was because Garcia started so fast and just imposed herself but Goff didn't get into the match until about 20 minutes in. And when Garcia's in this form, I just don't think you can afford to give her that kind of lead, really. And the second set was what impressed me most with Garcia because that was the, that was the moment where Goff did get into some games. You know, she had Love 30 and some games. She had some break points. And it was the 4-3 game with Garcia serving. Love 30 down. She then hit a massive forehand winner up the line at the end of a long rally. An ace. Another massive forehand winner which drew an error. And then another ace. Just four flawless points at the moment of biggest pressure. And I just thought, well, that's it. Caroline Garcia is a different player now. And that's who she is, certainly in this run of form. And... Yeah, she's going to win, and she did. It gave me um, Kenin against mm. Muguruza Australian Open, fi- the game that I think won her that Australian Open final. It gave me those feels, mm. that game, and you just have to go, all oh, right, okay. Yeah. You're just, you're you're just, just winning. Un- you're just unplayable. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing anybody could have done. And uh, But I, I found myself thinking, well, you were saying you were waiting for it to choke, which I think... All of us who've been around for a while and watched a lot of Caroline Garcia were thinking exactly the same thing. Where is the 10 years of baggage Mm. here? Where is the scar tissue? She doesn't look like she has any at all right now. She looks completely fresh. And in her interview, she just seems uninhibited by anything. Nothing's bothering Mm. her. And I'm waiting for something to just make her pause for a second and just kind of shake on the, on the spot and I'm not, not wishing that on her but I'm, I'm sort of expecting that to happen um, and, uh, and yet she managed to, to deal with it all um, and, and I, I think she just looks at that particular match win as a stepping stone in this, in this run she didn't doubt herself for a second Goff has I don't think she'll have 
many regrets because I think she'll be able to accept what happened. But at the same time, I think I think the fact she went four love down will will hurt. You know, when she once you do that, you're in. You've got such a fight on your hands to kind of feel part of the occasion, especially in these best of three set matches. But I, it reminded me quite a lot of the French Open final, of the way Sviantec just overwhelmed her and stopped her playing. Um, and I, it's just another example of, yeah, there's still some, there's, there's a way to go yet. There are better players than her at the moment. Yeah, and something I thought might happen was the Goff second serve would be vulnerable. And I think she only won 27 percent of points behind it and it's so intimidating playing Garcia at the moment I mean I know we've talked about this before but she is on the baseline for returning the first serve and Coco Goff this tournament has hit 128 mile an hour first serve she's got a huge delivery Garcia's just you know putting it back at her almost before she's finished her motion she's so aggressive with it and then she's inside the baseline for the second serve and she just sets the tone for her whole game with that return and it's the conviction she's playing with even if she misses a shot which you know she is missing it's not like she's solely hitting winners she just brushes it off and approaches the next point in the same way and it is it is a different different player she's she's awesome she she said uh, in advance of this match um, when she was being asked about her new coach um, Bertrand Perret thank you Mm. I was trying when I made a note of it earlier in my head when I was trying to remember it so I wouldn't have to look down at my notes on uh, on Prime Video I was thinking just think of the most French name you can imagine (laughs) Uh, and yes Bertrand Perret she She'd been talking about what he's been bringing to the party and saying that for so long she'd felt caught in a nether zone between caution and aggression. Mm. And he has helped her clarify where she should be on that scale and when and made it simple for her. And that helps make sense of the, the last... 11 years of her career since Andy Murray said she'd be world number one, doesn't it? That that kind of does sum it up. I, I wouldn't know. She's looked like a sort of aggressive player trapped in the in the body of a confused player to me. And she's yeah. found a way to, to really package her aggression, but in a way that has margins. And what's blowing me away about her is we've known about the the skill and the ability level and the smoothness of those shots and the easy power since Andy Murray tweeted about her, let's face it I'm, I, I know we keep harking back to it but you know, it was a massive moment It's impossible not to reference it, it back is, to, yeah. isn't it? I didn't realise she was this much of a competitor and maybe she wasn't always maybe that's something that Bertrand has, has really evoked in her, but I tend to think that that competitive spirit isn't something that can really be learned. I think it's sort of there or not. So it's it's obviously always been there, just sort of more dormant than it is now. But she was fierce out there tonight yeah. on biggest tennis stadium in the world, facing the young American hope, channeling the the ghost of Serena Williams. And she didn't blink. It was 
She was so was ready for it, wasn't yeah. she? Like, she was prepared for anything, I think, tonight. As you said, she was prepared to compete. She was prepared to take on the crowd. If it did get loud, she was prepared for Goff's game. She just, she just felt ready. Mm. And she, she's playing the best tennis in the tournament. Mm. I mean, she's yeah, been yeah. playing the best tennis yes, for the last few months, really. And I think, as you were saying, that baggage, that 10-year baggage, I've, I've, I've been waiting for it. But it's not coming, and she is playing the best tennis. And I think we have to be looking at her as probably the favourite for the title right now. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and I, I, I can't argue with that. I'm, I, all that experience, and I referenced last night, like uh, the, the highest high-spec car that, is gonna, that could blow up and break down. Well, tonight she was given every chance to do that in that s- sort of situation. She just didn't. E- even when under pressure... She went for the shot, she produced the shot, she doubted herself, not for a second, and 13 match wins in a row, and she spoke to Pam Shriver on the court last night, and it was just the moment when she said, I just go for it, I just go for it, and I thought, you've simplified Mm. tennis in your mind, and that must make life so much more straightforward. What does Billie Jean King say? Just go for it. Yep. Mm. I reckon Billie Jean's been in her ear. Yeah, I wouldn't mind an update, Matt, on how your um, your neighbour, the French journalist, is getting on. Oh, who... how funny was it, the chap behind you, Eric Salio? Eric Salio, so, yeah. So, oh, it's so, yeah. so fun sitting next to him when he was commentating on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was having the time of his life. <laughs> At the moment of... Uh, he was standing up. Yeah. Oh. He, he jumped out of his seat full-on stood up mm. with the headphones on until they yanked him back down into his seat. Oh, yeah. this sounds like a setup. I didn't know this. Oh, I'm it was so amazing. glad I asked. We, we, just, we were looking David at each other. We were him. having the best time just watching <laughs> him. Because you know what I'm like when I'm commentating big. But he, I don't think I've ever like jumped out of my seat like I've just, my team has just scored a goal. <laughs> it was so fun. Oh, I'm loving mm. this. <laughs> Go on, Eric. Um, mm. Who's she now play then, Karen, Caroline Garcia? She faces Ons Jabur. Oh, of course. And there's actually quite a lot of history there because uh, they've they've met twice on the WTA tour, and Jabur's won both of those. They also met four times in juniors. I was reading, and Jabur won all of those, and they were part of that big WTA Rising Stars event in 2015 when Naomi Osaka was there. And Jabur said, "Yeah, she's a long, long time." sort of rival really but Caroline Garcia's thing this tournament has been overturning those those head-to-head deficits she did it against Alison Riss she's done it tonight against Coco Goff just all illustrating that she's a different different prospect now I think and also um, Bertrand Perret our, our French man used to coach on Chabot mm. so there's there's big links between the two and yeah that that makes for a fascinating semi-final as well. Wow, I, I'm just—we'll get on to previewing that in a second. I mean, we will have a full show to talk about it tomorrow as well. But um, Ons Jabeur today beat Ayla Tomljanovic, who's been one of the stories of the tournament, having beaten Serena Williams, having saved what was it, eight match points against Lyudmila Samsonova or set points, and uh, and and winning that match. But this one from the off, and Tomljanovic fought hard, but Jabeur is on it now she is yes she really is I do think there is a minor asterisk there in that she is she's having lapses is she 
She did definitely have one in the second set, big time. Yeah, it all it all got away from her very quickly, and it was is giving me slight Wimbledon final vibes. I, I was I only saw the first set because I was in the Casper. She was presser. great in the first set, break up in the second. And then all of a sudden it's all changed and some of the analysis from the Prime Video team was that she's one of those players that whose technique is um, unforgiving in terms of tightness. When she gets tight, it really shows in her game. Some players are able to play through it more than others. I'm sure we'll come on to Matteo Berrettini uh, in due course. Um, but... S- Suddenly, she was just spraying the ball left, right, and centre. She couldn't even get a slice backhand in court. Um, wow. It, it went quite bad for a few games, didn't it? It did. And the serve, I mean, she had a terrible serving day. She was under 40% first serves in. I was listening to the World Feed commentary with Mary Carrillo, and she made the point that the lack of good first serves and sort of easy points that she was winning meant that she was having to rely on her creativity rather than have fun with it you know so there was pressure on it and as you said under pressure it's much harder to hit those shots and I just think she needs to be loose she needs to be loose and Mm. she wasn't loose enough in the first half of that um, second set but then when she was down she really tightened it up and Mm. didn't and didn't make many errors down the stretch and got herself together and managed to come through in two sets and in the end I think it's it's a good win but yeah I agree there were definite lapses because in in the first set she was brilliant she was moving Tom Janovic from side to side and just picking her apart really and I thought wow Jabir's playing brilliantly and then the second set was much more of a struggle I do think there's a real I'm not quite sure yet where the balance lies between positives and negatives from the, with the Wimbledon final for Ons Jabeur. Obviously, tremendous positive that she reached a Wimbledon final. That's epic and amazing. But I do think there'll be scar tissue from that final. I do. Um, you know, she, when she... there was a, uh, There was a little bit of panic from her I think when she squandered that break of serve in the second set and I just wonder if that that little brain worm of the Wimbledon final crept into her mind which you know it's, it's tough to talk about because you don't want to take anything away from Rebecca who really wrestled wrestled that match from her but I I do think there would potentially be regrets and sleepless nights for, for Jabir about that Wimbledon final um so it, it must exist in her brain somewhere and who knows, she hasn't told me this herself, but I wonder if the, that gremlin is not quite ready to be exercised. I, I mean, winning the US Open title would be quite some way to exercise <laughs> that it. That should do it. I think what I'm saying is she's playing really well and it's surprised me that she's made the semi-final, quite frankly. We weren't talking about her that much going in, but I do favour Garcia in this semi. And Jabir told Rima Balil, I think in a, in a private interview, that her goal for this tournament at the start of it was to reach the semi-finals. Wow. 
she said she said she would be satisfied with that given where she was coming in obviously Reem said well now you're in the semis <laughs> <laughs> and on said yeah I knew you were going to ask me that um, and yeah she said look there's there's two more matches that's you know my goal has changed I, I want to win it now um, I did think that there was quite a lot of frustration wasn't there in that second set mm. and she joked afterwards that she's going to be fired from her role as Minister of Happiness which was one of the great lines of the tournament I think uh, but it was clear that there was a bit of stress there and I, I agree I do think it was kind of similar to the Wimbledon final where she didn't maybe let it out so much and maybe maybe that was a sort of coping mechanism to let it out a bit and it, and it did end up sort of turning around for her getting, getting her game together um, but yeah, it, it has come a bit out of the blue for me this run. You know, well, we were talking about on Chabot ahead of Roland Garros mm. and ahead of Wimbledon. We weren't here, and, and she said that I think she felt similarly. You know, she was fresh because she hadn't played that many matches, but she didn't really know what that, to expect. That's because she hadn't been winning exactly. many matches. That's yeah. why I, I view this as a massive net positive. I, I, mm. th- I think it's a huge sign of mental progression on her part. Given that she's somebody that has freestyled her way into the affections of everybody who watches her and got people talking about what she's going to achieve, and here was me saying, I don't see her in a mix in my lifetime, and the reason is because I didn't think she had this steel in her to grind out when it's not all flourishes and fancy shots. And she's shown she has got that she can combine the two that's what she did at Wimbledon she didn't quite get over the line but she came in as one of the favourites for the tournament and she got to the Wimbledon final big achievement that even if she didn't win it to come here without form and and I would have made I made a, the underdog in two of them at the two previous matches Kudamitova was a, a poor head to head for her I also thought she would lose against Shelby Rogers she saw both of those two off and now she's won another one against an informed player when she's not necessarily absolutely on top form and I don't even think it's the best surface for I think it's a real, mm. real achievement. I agree. Totally agree. I just think in terms of her progressing any further, just think, you know, that little gremlin at the back of her mind might might be a factor. I think it could be for sure. Caroline Garcia being brilliant could also be a factor. <laughs> well, I, and I think the, the, the issue could be that like she had against Rebecca, you've got somebody who's just hitting you off mm. the court. The way Garcia is going about a business, she's swooping in for the kill with every shot. The, the other thing, I mean, the other possibility is, and what I think Jabir has done here, is she's given herself the chance to suddenly flourish. You know, she's got through these gritty matches, these untidy matches at times. And what if she suddenly hits a purple patch now? She could win the whole thing. And also, you know, her the, the line she gave to Real, uh, Reem about having achieved her target for this slam, maybe that'll totally loosen her up. Yeah. Everything from this point on is bonus. We know how much she was targeting the Wimbledon title. Yeah. Anything less than that... She changed her screensaver She'd, to a exactly. picture of the trophy. Hadn't it's different she? here. Hadn't she? That's so cool. Yeah, you know, that's. I, I love that. You know, stating your intentions. Um, that's that's another thing that Americans talk about, isn't it? Um, be intentional. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so you're uh, telling me that the the record is what about five zero effective if you count juniors in the favour of Jabir? Yeah. 
I, I, yeah, very that's interesting. That's right. Six zero, I think. Six it might zero. Be. Yeah. Mm. That's very interesting. Mm. It is. But then it was, you know, it was three zero to risk, and it was two zero to golf against Garcia. I'm really fascinated now. Mm. Oh, you've got me all excited, <laughs> Matt. This is great. Okay, well, um, that's to come on, what day is it today? Tuesday. So that's on Thursday night session, Thursday isn't it? Thursday night. Both of the women's semis are night session, which is great for sort of primetime audiences here. It's middle of the night in the UK and in Europe, um, but still, it's going to be a cracking night. Means I get a morning off. Oh, you get a lion. Hanging on for that lion. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging on. <laughs> Yes, Catherine's uh, got through today, let's say. Done a great job. It's not the easiest when it's when it's raining. Oh. It does sap your energy a bit, doesn't it, here? Yeah, let's move on because I feel like the Tennis Podcast listeners get a lot of me complaining about <laughs> the weather. Um, I'm very Goldilocks about it, aren't I? But there were like three days last week when it was glorious. Just yes. Mm. Absolutely Bring perfect. And I don't understand why it couldn't stay like that. It's going to be like that again from Thursday. I understand that to be the case yes. and I will grip my teeth and get through Wednesday <laughs> with a light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. Well, I, I found somebody who's had a worse day than you and that's Matteo Berrettini. Oh, yeah. I saw him... Did you? I saw him leaving the media era, area just looking so sad Italians Italians wear emotion well don't they and he really he makes you feel for him doesn't he he is good at that he's just he seems like just a lovely chap Um, and today no one was giving him a hug oh he just didn't he did not turn up today for the first two sets I mean or until the last game of the second set or whatever and then he managed to get a bit of a spurt and I mean it was mixed with Casper Ruud playing I think probably the best two sets I've ever seen him play he was awesome he was but he was helped to be awesome by Berrettini looking sluggish and ponderous and just not on it to quote Matt Roberts I think this is what laying an egg looks like (laughs) John McEnroe has been quoted by Matt Roberts (laughs) What was he doing? Yeah. What was, was he, he doing? doing? <laughs> it was he was so crap. <laughs> Sorry, Matteo, but you well, you, I, I, you consider, were, I consider that a compliment. <laughs> you know, big picture because he's so much better than that, and he knows it. That's why he looked so damn sad leaving the press conference. Is completely different to you know seeing Dan Evans the ultimate competitor after losing to Marin Cilic where he knew he'd given his absolute best and he'd been part of something special and he'd missed out narrowly to a slightly better man on the day. This could not have been more different. With that level, Kasparud might still have won had Matteo Berrettini not laid any eggs. That is a very plausible scenario because he was that good. But, oh, it was lame. Does does that match? I know it's only one match, but does it change how we think about them as players even? Because, honestly, that, that was a chance for Berrettini. Mm. You know, we have, we've spoken about how, you know, consistent he's been in slams and ended up running into Nadal and Djokovic. Well, they're, they're gone. They're not here. And he puts in that performance mm. against Rude. Like, he's not been winning against top 10 players. 
I thought I thought he had the fangs to go out there and muscle his way through that match. And on the on the flip side, Rude probably played at a level that I didn't really realise he had in mm. terms of occasionally coming up with some incredible shot making and a little flick lob at one point and sprinting down every ball and he was he was everywhere and it made me think well maybe he's you know maybe Rude's better than Berrettini and I probably would have thought Berrettini was better than Rude Mm. but yeah he he was so everywhere he made Berrettini look slow and lumbering and Mm. heavy leg didn't he and I'm sure that the tightness and the nerves and the just Freezing was a big part of that. I, I think Berrettini is quicker than he was today. And the, the opportunity might have paralysed him. Mm. That, that's a possibility. Without you know nothing, that sounds very dramatic. But look, he was winning. He won two of the first thirteen games of the match. It's oh, just not. It was just not good a, enough. And look, you know, this, this quote from in a couple of quotes from his press conference today, he said, "I think he had the best start possible, and I helped him." And then he, later on, he's asked about what happened because referencing back to that mental approach that he wasn't happy with in the previous ra- round against Davidovich Fikina, mm. he said, my game was okay, but mentally I just wasn't into the match at the start. He says here, I don't know what happened today. I'm going to let it pass for a few days and then I'm going to think about what happened. Now it's too soon, but something happened and I'm really not happy about it. And I, I just, I think oh, what, what, we, what I do trust is that he... I like the fact that already he's owning that and, mm. and he's going to go away and always think back to his lockdown um, Instagram live with Chris Everett of all people where he just... No, because that's, that had his ex-girlfriend in. It did. And I, and I, but, you know, he was I so think. candid about how he wanted to work on his game, how aware of his weaknesses he was. And he will go back and study and figure this out. Whether he can overcome it is another matter. It's a massive opportunity that he's let slip. I do think it changes the way I feel about him for now, but he can turn it around. Yes, because for now it's a slightly anomalous data point, isn't it? So it's like, okay, let's. But we will have it in mind. Yeah. Know, absolutely. Next time, next time we're doing crap Sam, predictions. <laughs> next time he's the in a reference point, it will be in our final. minds. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I agree. I love the way he's owned it, and I mm. think that's what's really likable about him in particular. He's. Very self-aware. Um. What about Casper Ruud? And uh, I went in his press conference afterwards, and uh, he was interested in talking about his dad and how their relationship works, and that they they don't get tired of each other. They sometimes disagree, but they they get on fine. And and that he had a period when he was 19 when he didn't work with his dad for a couple of years, and he said, you know, that was quite good because then I realised I did want to work with him again after that. And um, he's. Well, I mean, this this situation of him having a chance to be the world number one. I mean, I I think it it feels absurd to me, um, and yet I congratulate him if he makes it because he he clearly fancies it. But listening to him, I think it's helping him that world number one thing. I think it's giving him driving a, him. a slightly sharper set of fangs. So, and, and I suppose maybe a, a different goal to go along with this one. It's interesting. He's he's on a similar trajectory to Dominic Team in that he was originally seen as a clay quarter, but actually some of his some of his biggest results have been on 
hardcore. You know, he obviously reached the French Open final on clay, but final in Miami, semi-finals here. That's that's not dissimilar to team, you know, winning Indian Wells. He hasn't won a clay court Masters team, but he has won Indian Wells. He's done well at the US Open. He's won it. And I think he spoke about that in his press conference as well, didn't he? That growing up in Norway, he spent half the year on an indoor hard court, and it was indoor today as well, and half the year on clay. And I almost think that he he's aware of the talk around him as just a clay quarter, and he's not he's not really sort of leaning into it and playing playing with an obvious chip on his shoulder about that. But I do think just a little bit it probably has annoyed him and I think he's probably developed his game quite quietly on a hard court as well and now he's he's a really complete player he's not as dynamic or as exciting as Dominic Team. I don't think he ever will be he doesn't hit the ball in such an explosive way backhand still and the backhand is, is still a weakness I think his re- backhand return has improved quite a lot Berrettini but, made it look alright today yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know he's, there's just it's just quiet, steady improvement. Yeah. He knows who he is, doesn't he? He does. And, and actually, I think that that's why he was prepared back in the day to go and take on Kyrgios off the court. Mm. And, I mean, Rob Maul of The Sun asked him about Kyrgios in the final question. I'd, be, I'd had my f- hand up for quite a while because that was going to be my question. Um, but fortunately, Rob got in there and just asked him, you know, about what happened and their relationship now. And... and it was quite interesting. He started off the... You know, you always wonder, how's a player going to answer this? Because it's, it's slightly difficult ground to, to, to navigate. And, and he started off by talking about the tennis and what a good player Kyrgios is. And, um, and he, he says, you, ne- you never know what you're going to get from his tennis and you never know what you're going to get from his mouth. Um, and he then addressed the question. He was, he was, he was straightforward, and I liked that. He, he, and he said, look, yeah, some, some things happened between us. Um, it's fair to say for, for quite a while we weren't saying hello to each other when we passed each other in the corridor, um, but we do now. Oh. Um, and he said, <laughs> he said that that changed when Kyrgios came up to him at the Labour Cup and congratulated him on a match win. Um, and he said that's, that sort of helped things a little bit, but, you know, um, we'll see what happens next. I don't, I, I, he wasn't like saying everything's rosy and whatever, but he appreciated that. I would remind him, and I didn't re- get a chance to remind him, that since then, Kyrgios also beat him and then said what he said into the camera on the court about remind how... Remind me what he said. He, he said, uh, he said um, nothing to say now then, huh? Uh, talk is over now. Um, but anyway, Rude stayed away from that. Um, before we, uh, before Matt and I go back and watch the rest of that match, um, Matt doubles today. Um, we're getting into the sharp end. I, I, I got a chance to, to interview Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski about their win there into the semi-finals. It's bubbling up, the doubles, isn't it? Yeah, it was doubles day on Lewis Armstrong Stadium because it was a washout everywhere else. Yeah. And I think there were five doubles matches back-to-back on that court. Uh, in the men's, Ram and Salisbury, who are the top seeds, they won. They will face Cabal and Farah. And number two seeds, Kulhoff and Skupski, will face number three seeds, Marcelo Aravallo and Jean-Julien Roger. So three of the top four seeds in the in the men's double semis. He's been round the houses of partners, hasn't he, Jean-Julien Roger, in his time? <laughs> 
And then in the women's, uh, Nicole Melikar Martinez and Ellen Perez, who are the form team, they've done. They've mm. had a brilliant summer. They beat Saros Rivas Tormo and Kirsten Flipkins, who, I'll be honest, I thought had retired. She had reti- She had retired, Matt. Mm. She told us she'd retired. She had a lovely hug with Simona Halep yeah. at Wimbledon. I'm not sure I how think I we feel about the this retiring, like having a big moment when you're retiring from singles and then just carrying on anyway and playing doubles. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Fair play, I say. Martin, Martin Hingis retired three times, isn't <laughs> she? <laughs> mm. Anyway, she's, maybe, maybe this was her retirement. She's lost. Yeah. Yeah. Three sets, I think. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You're not getting another a fanfare on the podcast again, <laughs> Kirsten. You've had, you've had that. <laughs> so yeah that's the doubles that okay. was played today well we will uh, follow it all with interest for the remaining days I mean everything else has been washed out so they've got quite a bit of catching yeah, up to do they, uh, <laughs> there was an announcement in the media cafe which by the way was absolutely deserted at uh, midday today when the singles matches started on Ash presumably because so many media were here at 3am last night when Carlos Alcaraz was was finishing the business yeah uh, or this morning rather um it was eerily empty and they made this announcement to a totally deserted room at midday so an hour after play was scheduled to start with still potentially you know many hours to go uh, that all junior matches were cancelled for the day such was the horror of the weather forecast they called off everything without a roof at midday goodness um, just a word on Alcraz Chilich Matt. It was going on when we were on last night, and I, I didn't get through it all. I was asleep by the start of the fourth set, to be honest. You did. You got dragged in, drawn in, and he'd watched the lot. What was it like? It was thrilling. It was maybe the best men's match of the tournament. I oh, think. great. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> yeah. That's the only one Sorry. I haven't seen. You missed, David, a Marin Chilich underarm serve. Got a feeling I might have seen that in my sleep. Like with it on and just kind of <laughs> just you know Oops. half asleep sort of and was aware I was pretty, sort of vaguely aware. Yeah, David, that that's happened. not sleep. What I've, what what you think of is sleep. You let's I, let's you, talk about the definition <laughs> of sleep. You and I have different sleep, mm, don't we? Yeah, mm. Matt talks through the Marincilic underarm serve because. I doubt there'll be another one. <laughs> well, not after what Alcaraz did to it. <laughs> what did he do? I mean, to I mean it? he just chased it down and easily won the point. It was like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing that for? I'm the fastest guy on tour, basically. Al- Alcaraz, fastest what? guy on tour against one of the biggest serves on tour. Mm. What's he doing? Questionable. Alcaraz was. It appeared like Alcaraz was trying to burrow an extra part of the the backdrop to make even more room. Yeah, for I mean, though. I mean, that will be my lasting memory of the match. Just some of the balls that Alcaraz chased down I mean his movement is ridiculous and I wasn't actually planning to watch to the end but I just I just couldn't tear myself away because Alcaraz couldn't get fully ahead you know he went two sets to one up he had break points galore in the third set and did that thing where he was quite wasteful really Mm. and Chilich was awesome and took the fourth set and then went up a break at the start of the fifth and I I really thought Chilich was going to be tough to stop at that point. Credit to Alcaraz, he broke back straight away with an absolutely stunning shot. And just when I was beginning to flag for energy, 
WhatsApp pinged. <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe it's David, maybe it's Catherine, they're watching it. No, no, it was Catherine's brother, Math, back in the UK, who'd woken up early for a tennis match that he was meant to be playing at about 7am, which he'd called off <laughs> because he was watching Carlos Alcaraz. <laughs> he I said, thought that was amazing. Got up at 6.30 to play tennis this morning. My tennis has been postponed by me. <laughs> he said, are you on court with sleeping bags? It is one of those, when, when, when there's an amazing match on and other people are asleep, you just want to wake them up, don't you? Mm. Oh, I love it. So, and, and Alcaraz now plays against Yannick Sinner, who had that incredible match against Ilya Ravashka. And I'm, in, I'm into that because that's a rivalry. That's a yeah. rivalry that we need to be invested it's, in I, I think this match and is cultivating. huge. Like, mm. if Sinner wins... Sinner's beaten Alcaraz on every surface he this summer. Him. Yeah. On, in big matches, two at slams, one in a tour final. Yeah, like, it's it would, huge. It would be hard to make a and case feels, for Alcaraz, really, if you Sinner wins. I think this could be, you know, the rivalry for the next few mm. years. You know, tones get set early in rivalries. <coughs> Richard Gasquet. Um, <laughs> Are you comparing <laughs> Richard Gasquet to Carlos no, Alcaraz? You just never know. Well, well, I, I mean, mean, you do know, but <laughs> I mean, even Federer and Nadal. Yeah, very good point. Uh, like, the early no, that's a good these one. early what? stages of rivalry. You don't. We don't know that it'll end up being a rivalry for the ages. But if it is, these early stages feel significant and they're, formative. They're well set for a rivalry, aren't they? Definitely, because their they're ages, their physicality, the they seem to they seem to be in it for the long haul. These two. And they have that Federer and Adol thing of really sort of recognising we could be onto something special together yeah, here. Yeah, they like to, each other. Together we could be greater than the sum of our parts. There were, there were the clips of their practice session together in Montreal, was it? Um, I really like that. Okay, good. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that match now. Um, do you want to do shout-outs in person, Catherine, or do you want to write them in? What do you prefer? Well, this isn't the end of the pod, is it? No, I know, but we could change things around. You could just slot them in. What would you prefer? What would you prefer, Matt? Should we do them now? Yeah, sure. let's do them now. <laughs> in real we, time. We've got Sarah Newman from right, Sarah. Manchester. Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Sarah says, I've been listening to the podcast since the US Open 2016, brackets, when you had the fight with the bus driver. I remember that Mm. very well. That was also the one where you walked into a tree. (laughs) Was led into a tree, yes. (laughs) But the argument with the bus driver, if you want to go and listen to it, folks, it's still there. And you actually hear (laughs) Catherine and me having a conversation with a bus driver about letting Catherine on. Mm. Um, and, and eventually we succeeded, didn't we? I do we? get myself into these japes in yes. New York. Because as expressed on a previous podcast, everybody is e- e- either an absolute delight that or, you... Or not. Or, or, <laughs> or, what do you think you're doing, ma'am? Don't touch that, ma'am. Um, and it's very difficult to know which end of the spectrum any, anyone's going to be at at any given time. Okay, well, Sarah, thank you so much, not only for being our friend, but for reminding thank us you, of Sarah. that. I'm really pleased. In fact, I might go and have a quick listen to that later. <laughs> Why are you petting my dog, ma'am? <laughs> that today. That happens mm. a lot. Did you? Yes, I did. Yeah. 
And then I got policemen don't like that. But then I got I did ask. <laughs> I did I asked, but I I said is 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 the dog working? And anyway, then there, it, it turns out there was a misunderstanding, and actually he was fine with me petting the dog. And then I ended up giving the dog's being given the dog's business card with his Instagram details on it. Okay. Um, but the exchange started in a in a unpleasant way. Anyway, <laughs> right? Okay, uh, but who's, who's the next shout out, Matt? Catherine has the most incredible days. I know nothing happens to us, does it? We just sit well, at our desks. I had a, I had an anecdote about having a weird experience in a in a shop the other day where I needed to call the store assistant to get toothpaste for me because it was locked away. So Catherine said, oh, yeah, I went there and ended up with the store assistant's number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I left Dwayne Reed with Yolanda shouting, Tommy, don't forget. <laughs> I said, I won't, Yolanda. I'm really trying to forget. <laughs> OK. She was lovely, but right, I don't think we're going to hang out. Free shout out for you there. Um, <laughs> who else we got? We've also got Tarsine Afros. Right, Tarsi. Oh, hello. Who is in Toronto? Okay. Thank you, Tarsine, for giving me an opportunity to remind everybody mm. that I dangled off a very <laughs> tall building in Toronto once and and sobbed Just in the process. Another day in Catherine's life. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we've got Alex Tresedern from London, and we have met Alex. We met Alex in the Curtains Up pub. After oh, a day at Queen's yes. last year, Alex 2021. Is a lovely chap. He was wearing his tennis podcast yeah. T-shirt. Yes, he was. Good oh, pub, that. Good mm. pub. We had a little reunion, didn't we, in June for the old Queen's days? Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Oh, happy memories, Alex. Mm. Thanks for that. Yeah, a nice Alex, thanks for that. And Tarsine and Sarah, love you all. Brilliant. Yes, thank right. you very much. Hello and thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, Catherine. We'll see you tomorrow. Matt, let's go and watch Curious Against Hashna. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So Karen Hatchinov is the US Open semi-finalist. Never been to a Grand Slam semi-final in his career before and, I mean... What Chris Fowler on ESPN was saying is that Jaume Munar had the same likelihood of getting to the semifinals as according to the bookmakers or the same likelihood of winning the tournament. And now Hachinov finds himself two matches away from being the US Open champion because he's beaten Nick Kyrgios in five sets. And uh, he won the first set, he won the third set, and he won the fifth set. Um, Matt is here. We've just watched it all pizzas, beer, and a slightly surprising result. Fair? Yeah, I think so. I certainly wouldn't have picked Karen Hatchnov to reach the semi-finals at the start of the tournament. And we didn't. And we definitely didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't have picked him today. In fact, no. I think I, I know I said to someone that I think Kyrgios will roll him. Oh. So that was wrong. So how... how in what way did he not roll him? In, I mean, why? What went wrong? From I mean, no, we didn't see the first two sets in very much of, but and by all accounts, they were quite dull. Right. It, it doesn't oh. sound like they were particularly great sets. I, I feel think, better. I don't think the rallies were particularly exhilarating, and I think there were many rallies. What we saw was pretty good, actually. It was pretty high quality, uh, and Hachinov is a confusing, confusing player because. The match that I always think of is his one here at the US Open against Rafael Nadal from 2018 when, okay, he lost in four sets, but he was brilliant. He was powerful and strong and a handful for Nadal. And then we've just seen that so rarely over his career for such a big guy. We saw it shortly before Matt Roberts' day. Or, or, yeah. Yes. Yes, I, I sort of have a bit of a soft spot because I feel like I have a job because of Karen Hatchinov. <laughs> he, ju- he just won Paris and we handed you the microphone and yes. said, tell us about Karen Hatchinov, yeah, Matt. Yeah, and people seem to like my Karen Hatchinov takes and <laughs> here I am four years later. Uh, so... so but, you know, he, he's, a, he's an imposing guy. I've interviewed Karen Hatchnoff, stood by him, and, you know, felt like I was in the darkness because he, he is so big, he covers you. And yet he doesn't often impose himself on a tennis court, no. both through his game and through his force of personality, and yet that is exactly what he did today. He went toe-to-toe with Kyrgios. His backhand, in particular, was standing up really well in the rallies. Uh, And he was clearly a bit annoyed about the pro-Kyrgios crowd because he gave a bit of a 
bit of a chippy interview afterwards <laughs> saying, I did it, I did it. Thanks for the thanks for appreciating me now. It was sort of it was sort of Medvedev twenty nineteen light. It wasn't wasn't yes. quite that far. They, they didn't quite get it. I don't no, think. I don't think so. I think well, most of them had left because Kyrgios had lost. Um, but he he did a good job of not not showing that during the match. You know, he just played his own game. He didn't get sucked in by anything Kyrgios was doing. Just focused on his game. Served big hit big ground strokes, muscled the ball. Shut, he shut the door on Kyrgios at the end, didn't he? When yeah. he once he got that break, and, it, and he, he, he did blink when he had two break points for a double break in that mm. fifth set, and I thought, mm. oh, now we'll find out what he's made of. And, well, I think we did, because he just... There were a couple of rallies where Kyrgios is stretching every sinew to keep the ball in. He's mm-hmm. using all of his manipulation of a tennis ball to spin it back in. And he just kept heaving the forehand cross court. And it went wider and wider and wider until he won the point. Yeah. No, it, it was really, really impressive, to be honest. Uh, Kyrgios did a great job to win the fourth set tiebreak. He played a flawless tiebreak. And then he played a very casual game at the start of the fifth set it was the first time he'd been serving first in any of the sets so he had a little advantage there and he threw it away didn't he he played a, he played a forward unnecessary tweener lost the point lost serve and and you said i mean that could be it like yeah. the way Hatchnob i mean, is serving even at, even at about 15 all when he did that through the legs mm. front facing tweener and it landed in but then he lost the point I just I just thought, well, that you're just changing the the feel of the of of your approach mm. right there, and everything that has just happened in the last hour has worked with you playing Plan A type tennis, meat and potatoes tennis, okay, with the off pace shots and the drop shots, but none of the nonsense, you know, none of the stuff that is funny, but it's a Grand Slam quarter final, and you've it's right there for you. Um, you're, you've got the momentum, and he threw the momentum away. That's how it felt to me. He invited Hachinov in. He, he said, come on, come on to me. Mm. Well, Hachinov did. Yeah, he really did. He he wrestled it from him. And Kyrgios, as you said, had little half chances, but Hachinov shut the door on him. And that's back-to-back five-set wins now, isn't it? Because he's beaten Krenya Busto and Kyrgios over five. These are... These are tough wins. Yeah, I just really didn't see it coming. Uh, Kyrgios at the end absolutely destroyed two rackets. Mm. Um, Not that surprising, really. I mean, you can understand the frustration. Whether you agree with that behavior is... is, Everybody's going to have their own view, but I can understand the frustration. That's a massive missed opportunity. We said it about Matteo Berrettini earlier. And I suppose you'd say it about any player in this draw, really, that loses now. But for Kyrgios, with his skill set, that is a real missed opportunity. To not have Djokovic to face, to not have Nadal to face. Yeah. To think how well he was playing the other night against Medvedev. um, Yeah, exactly. He didn't didn't have that level. You've just wasted a win over Medvedev, in a way. (coughs) And then that's, you know, still a good win, but you've not backed it up. Um, And that might sting a bit. So, bedtime, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite a night. It means that uh, Kasparud is going to be up against um, 
Karen Hachanov now. Um, we'll have to have a. I think I have to have a day to think about who I think is going to win that. Casper yeah. Ruud, world number one, edges closer. It does, doesn't it? Goodness me, that doesn't. <laughs> doesn't sound quite right <laughs> somehow. But I mean, look, if he goes and wins the U.S. Open, it'll feel better um, on that level. But we'll we'll wait and see. Um, we'll be back with another edition of the Tennis Podcast tomorrow night and every night during the US Open, of course. Do tell your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you can. Leave a nice one. <laughs> you know, we're trying our best here. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have a mascot for the tournament, which is Phoebe. Thank you, Phoebe, for supporting us. Uh, we have our own mascots. I've got Darwin. Catherine's got Carter. Matt has the dearly departed Gerald. Any points today, Matt? No points today. Gone big tomorrow. Big. Oh, mm. Okay, so newsletter, folks. Go for your newsletter. Show notes. We'll have the link to sign up to the newsletter. You can find out who Matt's gone big on. Um, I've gone... Have I gone big, do you think? Medium? Medium. I've gone medium, <laughs> folks. That'll get them signing up <laughs> to the newsletter. Sign up to the newsletter for a medium-sized prediction <laughs> from me. Uh, and uh, yeah we've got our executive producers Carl Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee Billie Jean the dog is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss and that's about it I think we've done the shout out so (laughs) we can go to bed it's a weird show tonight (laughs) it's a weird old show isn't it it's a weird show most days Um, so tell your friends about us and uh, do become a friend if you'd like to get access to all our, our extra stuff and enter the competition we'll see you tomorrow 